Hi. Welcome everybody to Behind the Biz. I'm so excited to introduce to you Liz Rowe, professional makeup artist um, in Canada. She's coming to us from Toronto. And a little bit about Liz before we jump in. Um, some of her more wonderful uh, credits include um, department head for Designated Survivor, you're on Lock and Key on Netflix, and then you've done prosthetics on Suicide Squad and a feature film that you were the department head um, called Death of Me, which we're going to talk about. Um, if nobody has seen this, <laughs> you need to rent it because now that Christmas is over, we can watch scary things. So um, there's a lot more about her bio in the description as well as her website that you can check out her full CV and work. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you doing? Oh, good. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Our um, our mutual friend, Emily, who was also on the show um, a little bit ago, she said, you have to talk to Liz because she's amazing. I love her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's the best. I mean, she's just yeah. so sweet and so ridiculously talented. But you worked with her on... Uh, one night for one drop. Yeah, when she was uh, running and designing all those makeup, she was absolutely amazing. And when we were talking about it, I realized that she needed some help, and I was I volunteered. I was like, Oh my god, I'm coming. <laughs> Put me to work. It's a crazy experience. One night for one drop. Um, it's such a great cause. We Kelsey and I always did the after party. Uh, so it's funny that we didn't cross paths. Yeah. But we were there in 2016. I think that was the year I came out. Wow. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like 10 years ago at this point? I know, right? It seems like another life. <laughs> 2020 has been five minutes long and also 77 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know, I, I listed some of the amazing credits that you have, but you have quite a few more than that. And they're in kind of the big end side of, um, of showbiz, right? You're doing Netflix, you're in Apple TV, like all of these things. Um, but let us not forget, ladies and gentlemen, she also has some wonderful degrees that I wanted to talk about because you have one in uh, bachelor of fine arts yeah. and, then also you have a degree in um, textiles and ceramics. Yeah. Can we talk about this? How interesting is that? Yeah. So I got accepted to NASCAT, Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, and I did an interdisciplinary degree, which was a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and it was focused within textile, dye and print, and ceramic production. And those were just two areas that really fascinated me um, understanding cloth and how you could manipulate it as well as ceramics. Yeah. Um, do you find that we chatted a little bit about this with the costume design um, aspect of it? Cause my also have a degree in that and how it translates into doing makeup and just kind of an overall appreciation, I think of whatever it is you're working on or who you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. When you, um, when you were, so, okay, let's go back. I watched Death of Me last night, which is a feature film. Yeah. 
that you worked on with Maggie Q and Luke Hemsworth of the Hemsworth brothers. And as soon as you see him, you're like, oh yeah, he's, he looks like Chris Hemsworth. Um, I don't really like scary movies, uh, but no, no, no. I love haunted houses, but I don't really like scary movies. And we're watching it and it says from the creator of Saw, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but it started and it was such a great psychological thriller that my parents and I were watching it. We were freaking out. <laughs> freaking out. Um, I took notes because I had questions about certain aspects of it without giving it away because people really do need to go uh, watch this. Um First of all, you filmed in Thailand. Yeah. How was that? Uh, it was an amazing, um, super growth experience. I was absolutely terrified to go. Didn't think I could actually do it. But then once we got over there, it was amazing. The Thai crew are so professional and so um, ready and willing to help you and tuck in. And it was just a family. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Um, as a department head, um, and you were also a personal makeup artist on that as well, um, how was that experience being in another country? And, you know, there's maybe language barriers to a certain extent. And um, how was how was that particular part of the experience? The language barrier? Yeah. And, like, did you have to use local crew or did you guys bring your own? So I was – I had um... – a team of four um, Thai ladies. It was Jaco, Jojo, um, Boy, and um, Hollywood. And those guys or ladies, sorry, they were amazing. Absolutely amazing. So thankful to have them on the team. Um, I noticed that the language barrier was a little bit of an issue because I'm a very fast talker. So I noticed that if I wrote down and broke down the call sheet and wrote down instructions and then emailed them out for the, out to the team, this was the plan for the following day, everything ran smooth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. To have like the visual um, yeah. of what we're doing, the plan. Yeah. My sister was uh, is a teacher and she was teaching English in South Korea for a couple of years. So hmm. she was really a sounding board for me to kind of understand how to communicate um, more effectively. And she was the one that was put it down in writing. Um, so if, if it's similar to the way they taught English, it would be it would be easier for them to read it. Oh. It's 100% right. Uh, I love that. I mean, I've talked about this with other makeup artists and, and, um, and different designers in general that, you know, there's one part of being an artisan uh, and then when you get into kind of leadership or management roles, there's this whole other section that you have to utilize that has nothing really to do with the artistry, but how to make all of the artistry come together with the department. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh. Educate and run it and make it a team. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The There's some, some prosthetics in that film that were terrifying. Um, and I, I, I just want to say like, for those of you that haven't seen it, so I don't ruin it, but it, it's the facial, it's some facial prosthetics that blur 
the the normal human face, I guess you would say. And there was quite a few of, of those prosthetics that were in the film. Is that something that you handled personally or did you have your team do it? They were really great. They were terrifying. An amazing mask builder that they had in LA that designed the mask with Darren Bozeman, the director. And then those were flown out. And then we had um, a local named Tor, who was the prosthetics um, key on the show. And he designed the pregnant ladies in the beach and did that whole sequence. He was absolutely amazing and completely vital for those designs. Because those ladies in the beach, oh my gosh, we had, they had probably a couple hours to apply the makeup and then they place them in the sand and the tide's coming in and we're still filming trying to get that scene before like these ladies could potentially drown. So it was, we were down to the wire really with that one. That scene was crazy. Yeah, it was, it was wild, but it was totally worth it. That footage was crazy. It was amazing. Oh my God. Cause that's actually the tide is out. I, I was talking to my mom and I was like, I think this is the real deal where they're like having to film this in a timely manner. Yeah, absolutely. That was filmed in Krabby. Yeah. In Krabby? And see. Yeah, it was beautiful. And it's known for the crabs. <laughs> well, that scene totally worked because it was terrifying and the makeup was great on them. Um, and there's a lot of like, you know, I think it's really great too because, um, you know, I deal mainly in like beauty makeup and like light kind of out of kit special effects and stuff, which probably would have worked for, for this film. I'd have to brush up on some things, but um, the, the sweaty, but supernatural. I mean, and Maggie Q has like the most amazing skin ever. <laughs> oh my gosh, she does. And she loves all natural. So her and I just, we're always trying to find what's the, what's natural, what works. And she would always tease me and call me her mixologist. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we're, we're mad scientists together. I love that. But I think it's so great to see on film. And then, and of course, there's a lot of films in television like this where it's not over the top makeup. It's not crazy lashes all day long and, you know, super fillers. It's creating characters that actually look like you and me. Yeah. on a daily basis. That's what we love. And that's why I think um, the masters with the costume design and character design really comes into play with my makeup because it's not makeup for makeup's sake. It's what emphasizes and tells the story. What is Who is this character? Why is that needed? Is that an element that's vital to that character's story to make it more believable, more realistic? Yeah. And it even works with, um, I mean, I know we're kind of focusing on this movie cause I just watched it, but the, uh, the, the hotel owner, um, the girl that's from Minnesota, you know, you could totally believe that she's kind of a hippy dippy chick that moved there and she owns this place now and her hair is supernatural and there's no makeup and, um, she's in kind of linens and soft flowy cottons and things. And so it wouldn't really make a lot of sense for her to have those things on. And then she's quaffed to right. the, <laughs> to the eight and you know, the tens. Um, I, I was talking to you beforehand and you said that you grew up in Nova Scotia. How was growing up and what, what kind of made you want to go into this profession? Was this your plan? No, 
this was so not the plan. I never <laughs> knew that there was a career within makeup and within um, movies and film. I didn't understand that. Um, growing up, I always thought I was going to be a fashion designer. Uh -huh. I was so interested in textiles. Um, and then that's why I pursued uh, the art course and understanding artists and the, the foundations of color theory and all, all that was really vital. Um, and then when I was about 17, I got a job working at Chopper's Drug Mart, which is a Canadian company up in here, but they have a beauty boutique. So I was exposed to a bunch of different um, skincare lines, makeup lines from Revlon to Wet n Wild to Dior, you name it, they have it. And it's only expanded over the years, but I was able to really, that's really where I got my first footing into makeup and really discovered a passion of kind of helping people. Women would come in or men would come in with different skincare issues or different desires on how they wanted to look. And it was kind of like, all right, let's play. I love that. And so you were like, let me see if I can pursue, pursue this professionally. Yeah, it was probably in my second or last year, my third year or my last year of my undergrad where I was kind of realizing, what am I going to do with this degree of, of textile design and ceramics in Nova Scotia? There wasn't a lot of job prospects. <laughs> and a lot of my colleagues that I was working with, um, we would go out and we would do different um, beauty galas and whatnot around different shoppers, drug marts in the Halifax region. And a lot of the trainers or um, company reps were in there and they were like, you look really good. You should go get trained, which kind of planted a seed in my head. And then I started looking at different makeup schools and I decided to come to Complexions in Toronto that at, when I moved here and went to school, it was around 2008. And that was the first program that I had found that was comprehensive. It had theater, it had film, it had high fashion, there was wigs and um, hairstyling also available. It was an eight month mastery program um, as well as some prosthetics. And I thought, well, I don't know really what avenue I wanna go in here. So let's try everything and see what sticks. And then we got into TV and film and boom, yeah. You were like, here it is, it found me. It found me, yeah, totally. <laughs> I love that. And um, on Suicide Squad, no, no, no. On Resident Evil, that was when you were doing a prosthetic kind of apprenticeship. Yeah, on Resident Evil, a stone shop. Um, that was really my first step into prosthetics. And we were running like foam latex. Jeff Dureshi was doing that and we would help um, paint them. We were, uh, they were just starting to get into prosade transfers at that time so we were starting to figure out that we remember us putting them in the freezer and we hadn't drawn out enough liquid so as they froze you would get all these crystal designs that you don't want when you're applying these cuts and scrapes and things so I remember that was a really big trial and error moment for us it was great it was yeah and that's really where the the mad scientist mentality came into play where it was keep trying, keep experimenting, because if you keep trying the same thing over and over again and expect a different result, that's the definition of insanity. So keep trying new things. 
Yeah, I think that's a big part of what um, what this is about, too. And, and this, I mean, um, being a professional uh, makeup or wig person and that there's so many, I think, people that think like, oh, you've got it and there's a formula. And so it's the same all the time. But really, I think it's not having a fear of failure in the sense yeah. that it might not work, but you're going to learn why it didn't work so much from it. Yeah. Yeah. And just how to, to go forward from that. Um, what are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on? I mean, I think that your resume is really interesting and it kind of runs the gamut between reality and fantasy and action. And um, is there a particular genre you really enjoy working on and also watching? Are they the same? I really like fantasy and I really love period dramas. Yeah, absolutely. Like wig styling and period facial hair to period makeups. Uh, you can have so much fun with the subtleties of makeup within those moments, or you can go to the complete other aspect and really build a character from the ground up um, and really take it there. Both are amazing. Um, when you were little, was there a particular movie or TV that kind of brings out in your memory nostalgically of like, oh, I really loved, um, I did not love The Black Cauldron. It scared me, but oh. I remember it. It left an impression, um, but I love like the Goonies and stuff. Was there anything in particular that, right? Yeah. I mean, I Goonies just... never say die. <laughs> From the truffle shuffle? Yes. Oh, right? <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> oh, and what amazing prosthetics on him. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. As a kid, I was like, what is happening with Sloth's face? But I love him. And it still holds up. It still yeah. holds up. Yeah. Amazing. It does. It really does. There's so many that hold up. But, yeah, is there any, like, in your in your mind that ring a bell? Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh. Yeah, that was probably the first one that I saw where I was like, wait, you can alter someone's face like that? Oh my gosh, and remember when the, the appliance fell out of the window and the car ran over it in dramatic tire tracks? <laughs> oh like, I thought that was brilliant, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the movie magic. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I love the scene in Mrs. Doubtfire when he, they're at dinner and he has to go between the two tables and he winds up getting drunk because he, he's like drinking at both tables and trying to, uh, and then of course Cypress Hill, you know, my, my foray into West Coast. I think that's West Coast rap. I'm not sure. Uh, in hip hop. <laughs> As a kid watching it and jump around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So now every time I hear that, I'm sure they don't want to have a kid's birthday party with a goat associated with that. But, you know, yeah. there you are. <laughs> um, earlier when we were chatting beforehand, you we were talking about like some of our favorite period um films or musicals or things and you had mentioned that you love Auntie Mame. Auntie Mame, absolutely. One of my all-time faves. 
Why is it one of your favorites? Um, the costume design is just next level. I love her period makeup and her hair, but the whole message of the story is, uh, is beautiful. Um, she has this one line in it where she says, life is a banquet and most people are starving to death. And that's just, yes, life is a banquet and try to live every day. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Especially right now. I feel like, um, you know, we were watching the news yesterday and I, it kind of comes in waves, right? The, the sense of hopefulness and then the sense of depression and despair. And, um, we were watching the news yesterday and there's new strain in, in the UK and stuff. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, when are we going to be able to have a normalcy in our industry again? And it was a bit overwhelming. And so we went outside and went for a walk and, yeah. Um, but then the next day I get to have conversations with amazing artists like you. And, and I think having those creative conversations where you remember the beautiful things and art, um, keep you uplifted a little bit, you know, I, Absolutely. I don't know. Cause it's, it's a lot right now. <laughs> it is a lot. And you're absolutely right. It does come in waves when you just feel completely overwhelmed. And then other times where, there's just moments of complete beauty where you're just so grateful for everything you do have. Have there been any uh, awesome silver linings for all of this uh, craziness this year? To be honest, when the shutdown happened, I had been really manifesting going on a meditation retreat where you're just not allowed to talk for a couple weeks and just I just really wanted to unplug. And I was on the verge of burnout, to be honest. So this, the timing of this couldn't have come at a better time. It was a lot of self-reflecting, quiet, restoring um, me and my energy. I picked up paddle boarding over the summertime. Mm. So yeah, reconnected with family. Yeah, all those great things. I think being a workaholic is... Uh a common trait amongst us. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fair statement, don't you think? Well, I think too, when you're um, a freelancer, when there's work, there's too much work. And then when there's no work, there's no work. So it's a feast or famine kind of thing. And when you're feasting, it's you're saving up knowing that there could be a famine tomorrow. It could like save, save, save. Yeah, save for that rainy day. And this definitely was that rainy day. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> the deluge. <laughs> um, but that is so true. Like you don't, I think there's a fear of saying no. Yeah. Um, I say no, I don't know. Right. Well, I work again. Is this, um, is this a networking moment that I'm going to miss here if I say no? Um, and so I feel like we tend to put ourselves like 30th in line. <laughs> Not even second. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. So it is a weird thing this year having a lot of um, peace and quiet. And, and of course, not everybody has had those moments this year has been really awful for some people. But for those of us that um, have been able to unplug and just embrace it without too much panic, yeah. um, 
Um, there has been moments of panic and, and I try to put it all in perspective and just look at every day and be like, okay, today's still going to be a good day. Yeah. Right. What do you do kind of, you know, on the, on the normal, like what's your favorite, um, do you get up? Are you a tea person? Are you a coffee person? Like what fuels Liz Rowe? Uh, it's coffee. Yeah. <laughs> right now it's tea because it's later in the day, but um, coffee. And right now the recipe, which you all should try, it's um, about a teaspoon and a half of cinnamon with a cup of ground coffee beans. And then it's three or four um, cardamom pods and a couple pieces, small like little twig pieces of star anise. And just let that brew. Oh. Can we talk about cardamom for a minute? Yeah. So I had never heard of cardamom until I started watching the British baking, the, the great British baking show. Great show. Do you, do you watch, do you bake? Love baking, but I'm, I'm gluten free. So all of my baking is for um, sans gluten. No gluten. Well, I think that makes it just even more. I don't bake because there's too much measuring involved. Yeah. Um, Neither do I. <laughs> but when I watch those shows, I'm just so blown away by that they have these challenges and they just know it's not even their real job, but they know how to like make. Yeah. Bush. What's that? <laughs> yeah. Right. They know how to make all of these things. But um, one of the big ingredients that they always use is cardamom. And yeah. I was like, corduroy, what are they eating? What are they saying? And I still haven't tried it. Is it just kind of an all spicy, yummy? Yeah, thing? it's a super yummy. I believe cardamom comes from, it's an Indian spice. Um, they use mm. it a lot in their um, flavorings. Um, and it's, don't get it confused with curry, but it's, it's a beautiful flavor that can be sweet and savory. Um, and the aroma of it, you know, it's beautiful. I love that. I'll have to try that recipe. Hmm. Yeah. Cinnamon, cardamom. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, send it to me, and then I'll post it. That'll be a fun little uh, annotation. Yeah, that was actually based off of Maggie Q's um, recipe, so I can send you that link as well. Uh, I really did enjoy her. Her sense of panic in that film was so spot on. So good, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. She I was like talented yeah the movie was stressful not gonna lie it was <laughs> yeah. really good death of me if you're just joining us death of me you can rent it on like all of the different i think we rented it on prime but um man it was really good we were like when it ended all three of us were sitting there and we're just like what just happened <laughs> oh my gosh that's awesome <laughs> um if you could go back, oh, not even go back in time, but thinking back, if you could have a dinner party of, let's say, three to five people, including anybody in history, alive or dead, current or past, who would you have a, a dinner or a tea party with? Wow. Well, Jane Goodall. Could definitely be there. Um, love her. Yeah. Why Jane Goodall? I mean, I love her, but just her work with the gorillas and how um, she was just so revolutionary of her time. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Audrey Hepburn, love Audrey Hepburn, and also her humanitarian work. Um, Nelson Mandela, that would be one that I would have loved to sit down and really have a chat with. He was um, obviously uh, revolutionized and brought about or really helped bring about the, um, the lifting of the apartheid in South Africa. Um, and Maggie Q, yeah. Because you know you'd be laughing and you would have some serious conversations, but it would be, oh man, yeah, for sure. And you. I think that would be a great mix. <laughs> and you. Megan would definitely be there. <laughs> Thank you. That would be so fun. I would enjoy all of, I would enjoy all of those people. The amount of um, layers of conversation you could have. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? And I think Audrey Hepburn would bring a really interesting uh, uh, levity to things because I always found her very elegant, but she also was quite funny. Yeah. You know. Very funny. And her life story was also kind of a sad one um, and how she um, escaped World War II and started her life again uh, in America. Yeah. Amazing woman. Yeah, I'm mildly obsessed with World War II. Oh my gosh, isn't that history crazy? Yeah, it is. I ever since I was a girl, the more it's just whoa, right? And it doesn't matter how many documentaries I watch on it. I did my thesis on it for grad school. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure I lived back then <laughs> at some point because I just ever since I was like 13. Yeah. I was just like zoned in on the music and the culture. And um, I'm not sure I would do so well with the role of women. I probably would get in trouble, but I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I'll be fine with that. I can take it. <laughs> I can handle myself. <laughs> um, when you, do you have any fun projects coming up that, I know work right now is, is very, it's not a rolling in, right? Like, like it normally would be, but I know you, you just finished up principal photography on lock and key. Yeah. So we're halfway through season two of lock and key after the Christmas break, we'll come back and we'll finish off season two. And uh, they just announced season three, which is very exciting. Oh, that is exciting. How is that working with all of the new protocols? Is it like super crazy with uh, quarantining and the masks and, and um, face well, shields? Netflix is doing such a great job with all of the protocols. We've been so fortunate on lock that we haven't shut down with any of, um, any of our cast or anyone in the red zone um, coming down with, uh, with COVID. So very, very thankful for that. It's a whole new world um, working in, in the trailer. We used to have one trailer for hair and makeup. Now we have hair and makeup in two separate trailers so that we can all socially distance. We have HEPA filters. And then we're, what we all wear on our persons as the artist is you have a K95 mask as well as a face shield and then a robe, we wear gloves. So wearing gloves, doing makeups is, um, has been a steep learning curve, but now I'm used to it. Now it's kind of like that might be our new normal. Um, so 
every time a new cast member comes in, we change the robe, we change our gloves, and then we robe again, do new gloves, sanitize everything that has been um, exposed, um, and everything is a wipeable surface. Sterilite machines and UV um, machines have definitely become a new kit staple within the artists so that we can quickly sanitize things. Yeah, there's been a whole bunch of improvements, but again, as makeup artists and hair, sanitizing and cleaning has already been with us from day one. So it's just, now we're leveling up. Right, it's, yeah, just stepping it up a notch from what it already was, especially with the PPE. I think that's the, um, yeah. Right. It's so interesting for for people that are listening or even watching because this will go into a podcast <laughs> a version. Um, I'm trying to figure out all the technology. Uh, so smart. It's great. Um, but the glove thing for those that are that aren't familiar with what we do, uh, you know, the the body temperature and like just having the your hands, you know, to touch skin sometimes, not all the time. Um, and just the use of your hands and having that layer between it is kind of, kind of strange, but I'm glad that it's, it's just something to get used to and that it's working fine. Yeah. For the most part, there's definitely some moments where you're like, God, oh, I just wish I could just do it with my hands, but you know, with COVID and we want to make sure like we're staying super safe. So you figure it out. Yeah, you know, I think for the most part, everything is figure outable, especially um, for film and television where you can be kind of in pods and it's not live theater where there's like this huge cross section of coming and going and people go home and then they come back and, um, you know, we have digital content happening here in Houston, but the live stuff is still not there yet. Yeah. It's getting there. It's getting there. It will. I have to hope that it will come back. You know, people are like, oh, maybe we'll stay in this and it will be what the future is. But I think there's such a yearning for human contact that the pivot will be there. Yeah. But I think the live will come back because you, there's something so magical about it. Magical about uh, seeing a live performance that you can't just stop, pause, and rewind. Right. I remember growing up and I have, you know, this was way before cell phones, before pagers, <laughs> before all of this. And all I have is like my memories of the new kids on the block concert and how it made me feel, yeah. you know, and there's something so special about that because it's just mine. Yeah. Have you guys done um, the drive-in? concerts yet i hear that those are doing fantastic i think that they have not had them particularly here in houston but i've seen them uh like in nashville i think they had some and um and maybe la the drive-in movies kind of kicked up here yeah. a little bit yeah. uh they got to get the drive-in movie game together, though, because there was an old-school drive-in in Las Vegas. Um, okay. Something wins. It was amazing. Like, it was an old-school one with the big screens, and then you went and tuned your radio, and we, you would just bring, like, your own food and sit in the back of the... Well, people don't really have pickup trucks in Las Vegas, surprisingly, but... 
we would bring chairs and stuff and sit outside and watch these movies. And so you got to create this whole new memory of a wonderful, you know, spring evening watching Aladdin on the big screen. And they don't really have it here. They haven't quite figured it out in Houston. If anybody's looking. Twister. Twister, the movie? Yeah. That was my first date ever was I saw Twister. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that theater with the movie screen and the Twister coming in the back that just takes it apart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is great. And it also still stands up. Still stands up, doesn't it? So good. Yeah. Oh, you know, when I was growing up, um, I wanted to look like, well, I guess I'm closer now that I have like my blonde bob, but I wanted to look like her, Helen Hunt, Helen Hunt, right? In that wow. film, because I loved the white tank top. Yeah, with like, the white tank top and the beige pants. And yeah. That was a 90s special, man. Yeah, she just like, she was like not playing around, she's serious. Um, you kind of remind me a little bit of, um, Meg Ryan. Oh, yeah. yeah especially yeah. in like Prelude to a Kiss. Yeah. Uh, kind of era, Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, Sleepless in Seattle, you got mail. Yeah. Does anybody ever tell you that you look like her? Yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Usually when the hair is more like curly, I get that. If I get, if I put it down straight, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love me some Meg Ryan, especially like French Kiss and stuff. I mean, what a babe! Oh, and it's just so funny. She's just funny, and she ha always had like kind of natural makeup and just gorgeous. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> my like '90s teenage self was, yeah. Like I'm gonna be like Helen Hunt and Meg Ryan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I wanted to talk with you a little bit more about like the costume history side of stuff because people a don't know that you can get a degree in this costume design and history and, and things like that. But I find and, and maybe this is you too, but it helps me with actual history. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm like, Oh, when did they wear that? Oh, so-and-so was queen then. And then I can like back it up and, and remember historical events based on um, who killed who and who came next and what they wore. And <laughs> Absolutely. What was kind of happening politically, what was happening in fashion, yeah. um, very much hand in hand, what was happening in society and yeah, all of that. It's uh, amazing. Helene Siebritz was our costume prop, amazing designer and teacher and mentor really. Um, she was the one that really gave me a love of undergarments and knowing mm. the structure of what was happening underneath the garments to know how you got that outer outer costume that was worn and that was throughout the era throughout like the, the timeline from the byzantine all the way up to queen victoria what was happening under those garments oh yeah the history of the corset alone is just the most insane yeah. Isn't it? Went from steel yeah. to like whale bone to, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and just what they found, like the shape, and that men wore corsets. A lot of people don't know that men wore them, especially in the Romantic era. And, you know, to get those puffed out 
chests and stuff and it's yeah. so amazing. you know it is it's amazing and it absolutely informs um everything like today i'm wearing sparkles and you know i had sparkly earrings on but i was like you know earlier just in workout clothes and i was like i need to feel a little bit more festive so i'm gonna wear sparkles instead of a b or c and on the daily, it doesn't make that much difference, but sometimes I feel like dressing up, sometimes it's about other people, but mostly yeah, it's about how those things make you feel or silk makes you feel or. Absolutely. Like if you know. For your step. Yeah. Do you find that you are more of a structured uh, clothing person or do you like more soft and comfy pre-COVID? <laughs> I guess it really depends on the event for my everyday life it's usually jeans or leggings with some sort of oversized uh, comfy cozy um, especially being at work um, I always try to dress really neutrally so that I blend in the background and you don't really notice me um, but then if I'm going out to a party say I'm definitely more into structured tailored pieces that's awesome. Is there any group of um, designers? So I have a couple of different groups of people. Right? I have directors that I would love to work with. I have designers that I would love to work with. And then I have like talent that I would love to work with. Are there like any particular people that when you see their work, you're like, yes, I want to. Yeah, I need to work with them in some form. There's a whole bunch, especially growing up with um, the Goonies, as you said, Steven Spielberg, um, Alien, Ridley Scott, uh, would love to do anything with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have loved, but I'm past the time he's passed away, but Jim Henson, I would have loved to have worked with him. Or, um, yeah, there's so many, to be honest. Um I, um, I always say, you know, and people are like, you know, who would you, who would you want to work with? And Spielberg is always at the top of the list because I mean, his stuff is, it's Spielberg, A, E.T., Leo, Indiana Jones. Um, but also like War Horse, you know, that was the one that really won me over and he decided to shoot it on film and being, um, kind of a lover of movies and old school, I was so absolutely in love with the story. And then to see it in all of this, like kind of not sharp line, saturated color glory. I was like, I want to do something with him in some capacity on film. Yeah. I didn't know that that was all done in film. That's beautiful. That story of the horse and what they went through. Whoa. Yeah, beautiful and heartbreaking. I can't. I'm so weepy when it comes to horse movies. Um, I love horses so much. And War Horse almost ended me. I was just a disaster. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was on film. So when you when you, if you go back and rewatch it, you know, they have all the beautiful sunsets and things like that. And it has that look that's just so rich. <clears throat> that's a little bit harder to get now, I think. But... Um, I want to work with Jane Campion. 
uh, who did, she directed uh, The Piano and um, uh, Bright Star. She does a lot of period stuff. She's from Australia. Um, but her aesthetic, and especially with textures on Bright Star, which is about the poet John Keats, um, her costume designer on that, I think already passed away, and I can't remember her name at the moment. But the textures that she has in her films of fabric and art direction and light, like the people that she surrounds herself with to create those things, it's so simple and it's so stunning. And so I think to be on the makeup or hair end of that and have those creative conversations, yeah. um, I think would be great. It's actually an aesthetic I think you would probably love. Yeah, Jane Campion. Mm. She's so... I can sit around and make wish lists all day long. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> who I want to work with and who I want to travel with. And um, I... Uh, oh, I had another question, though, on my notes. Hold on, please. All right. The, in the movie, The Death of Me, there's the tattoo lady. Yes. And she's applying a tattoo with this stick. What is happening? So is that this is a traditional Thai way of tattooing. Oh. They would have a needle that would be dipped in ink and they would tap it. And it's also part of, um, I'm not sure if it's religious. Uh, the research was done on that, but that was a little while ago now. I apologize. But I feel like it's part of the Buddhist prayer. Um, oh. A lot of those are traditional um holy tattoos they're not just yeah they mean they have a lot of meaning and symbolism do you remember what you guys used for the tattoo ink on that because it looked really really good yeah that was all makeup so we had those um printed up as tattoo transfers and then we used a little bit of um a brown makeup that was liquid and we just gave her a stick and she just played with it yeah, yeah it looked really great but getting more and more um, deeper into the skin, that's where you see like the breakdown in the blood. So we shot like yeah, it her it turned out perfect. Um, it was a intriguing because she was using a stick. So I was like, "What's happening? This is very interesting." Um, also, the sewing. There's some sewing of eyes and in this and. Was that your crew or was that more the effects prosthetics guys? That was um, an original thought by Darren Bozeman, the director, that he really wanted to have that visual of these women that were pregnant and sacrificed, um, that their eyes were being sewn shut so they could no longer see, they could no longer speak, they could no longer hear because the, that was part of the thing that was done where her ear was chopped off and there was a these um, molten pokers that are stuffed in. I'm not sure if that made it into the movie. It um, did not, but I could totally see that happening. Yeah, so all of their senses have been basically um, taken away from them. So it's uh, it was very much a process that Darren had originally thought of as the, these women's their storyline that was then being done to Maggie's character to get her ready for the preparation of this sacrificial um, thing to keep the weather at bay so that the islanders can all keep living their 
happy-go-lucky life. It is the craziest thing I've seen in a while. Yeah. It was just so well done. Yeah. You were watching it and just as confused as they were, but in a good way, not in a um, blue velvet kind of way. Yeah, it was a psychological thriller through and through. Like, what's actually happening here? You're rewinding and you're fast-forwarding. and Is this real time or is this another flashback? It's really, it's weird. And how much uh. time? actually passed during all of this yeah it was great i loved it i'm so glad that you did it and that um the makeup looked so good and just the subtleties of you know when she would take the necklace off like there's so many things happening in it that you know i was like oh she needs to put it back on something she looks more pale something's happening you know yeah oh that's <laughs> great oh i'm so glad yeah i know it all red yeah uh, because what we were talking before is you haven't seen it. And I think that that's very, <laughs> very funny that you haven't seen the final product. But I think it's not that abnormal um, that people don't go back and really watch, you know, the final. But you haven't seen that and you haven't seen Suicide Squad. Um, <laughs> do you think you will see them, especially this one? Um, maybe. To be honest, I like watching a few little bits and pieces to kind of be like, okay, the I like the makeup. Yep, that was great. Otherwise, for me, uh, I lived it. Yeah, I saw it all being filmed right there. So, yeah, it's cool to see it edited with sound scores, um, but sometimes you're just unhappy. Yeah. Will you go back to Thailand? Because that place looked gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. Hard yes. Thailand was absolutely amazing. Bangkok and Chattachuk Market to the people to up to the mountains of Chiang Mai and going to an elephant sanctuary. Um, and then the shores of like the Andaman Sea up to the Krabi and Anon. Um, it was gorgeous. I couldn't have asked for a better little vacation. We worked hard, six days, six day work weeks, but uh, it was worth it. Yeah, 100%. Oh, it paid off. Um, as we people, that culture is so beautiful and so so special. They're so welcoming and warming, and yeah, I can't say enough about that Thai crew. Oh, yeah, I still keep in contact with a lot of them. Oh, you do? That's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. A and I just uh, she was the production manager, and her and I still message and. Her daughter's actually was in costume design um, and was helping within the costume department when I was out there. But now she's getting into makeup, which is also very exciting. Well, she'll have a good mentor. Oh, yeah. Happy to help. <laughs> right. If she has any questions. Ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> How great would that be? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Always happy to help anyone. Yeah. And I think that that's an important part of it is to see the potential in the younger artists that, you know, are really um, hungry and showing them kind of how everything works. And yeah, because um, people saw that in us and they took the time and they helped yeah. us pay it forward 100%. Absolutely. Um, as we kind of close things up here, which is crazy, like I told you, an hour just flies by. I mean, it's like, what happens? Yeah. Um, is there a kind of a motto or a feeling that you live by 
um, it, not even especially in, in the year of a pandemic, but just kind of that keeps you grounded and focused on what's important? Um, yeah, I kind of look at a lot of things uh, in terms of will this affect me in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, in five years? If most of those are no's, let it go. Live in peace. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. And I always just try to be happy and have a good disposition because things could always be worse and there's always something to smile about. I love that. Aww. <laughs> it's so sweet and it's so true. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me today about a lot of random topics, including what you do <laughs> for a living. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I love it. And, you know, I'll look forward to seeing um, the work that you have coming up in the future. And for those of you that are listening and watching, please check them out on Netflix uh, and on Apple and check out her resume. There's a lot of really great material in there. And if you ever have any questions for her, just shoot us the email. And don't forget to uh, subscribe, of course, to the show and uh, follow us on Instagram for other cool upcoming interviews. And you know, maybe we'll touch base in 2021 and yeah. see yeah. what the new year brought. <laughs> be great. It's going to be a great year. It is. It is. I will talk to you very soon. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.